And Lord, now I, I give you this, this sermon, this teaching, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing topic. It's way over my head, Lord. I'm feeling very puny when it comes to this topic. But you're very big. And would you do something way beyond what anything I could ever come close to doing? By opening up our hearts, by making this not just information in our minds, but reality in our hearts. That you would pour out your spirit upon us in a fresh way this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's the topic for this morning. Did you all get the material? Okay. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? This is week six in our ten-week series on uh, doctrine, passions, and practices of Mercy Hill Church. Now, why is understanding the Holy Spirit so important? Here's one reason why. It's because what your life is all about, can't overstate this, what your life is all about is knowing your Creator through Jesus Christ Knowing God the Father through God the Son. And that comes to you through the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Is to make God the Father, God the Son real in your experience. This is huge. It's a huge topic. Let me give you an example. Sarah Edwards was the wife of Jonathan Edwards, 1700s. Jonathan Edwards, one of my heroes. And here's what happened to her as she was meditating on Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Here's what the verse is. So just picture her meditating on this. Who is the one who condemns? Paul writes, it is, who's going to condemn you, even though we're sinful? Who's going to condemn us? Because Christ Jesus is he who died for our sins. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So she was meditating on these words, and listen to what happened. When I was alone, the words of Romans 8.34 came to my mind with great power and sweetness. They appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God, and as words which God was actually speaking personally to me. I had no more doubts of it than I had of my own being. I cannot find language to express how certain this appeared. My safety and happiness and eternal enjoyment of God's love seemed as durable and unchangeable as God himself. Melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears. The presence of God was so near and so real that I seemed scarcely conscious of anything else. That's what I'm talking about. It's not just believing true things, which is very important. It's not just obeying Jesus' commands, which is very important. But a huge dimension of the Christian life, as described in this book, is experiencing the presence of God through Jesus yourself, having a first-hand experience of the living God, of the living Jesus. And that's given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's main job. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. So, doctrine. Numbers 1 and 2, I covered those already the second week on God. main point I want to make is the Holy Spirit is fully God. 
equally God with God the Father, God the Son, works in complete unity, oneness. Number two, a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit as an it, as if it is an impersonal force or power. That's not accurate. The Holy Spirit is a person, a personal being, just as personal as God the Father, God the Son. And I'll go down to number three. Let me give this a historical perspective, okay? Middle of history, you have Jesus, death, resurrection. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work, saving people, changing people's hearts, bringing the real presence of Yahweh, God the Father, to people. But during the Old Testament, God never publicized the work of the Holy Spirit. And the reason he never publicized it was because he didn't want to publicize it until first Jesus had died and been raised because God the Father wants to make it crystal clear that the only way anybody can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is because of Jesus being punished for our sins on the cross and rising again. So the Holy Spirit was at work very powerfully through the Old Testament, but there was no going public with the work of the Holy Spirit until right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what was the event right after Jesus' death and resurrection? Pentecost, which is the top of the next page. You can read John 7, 39. But here's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. 120 believers gathered in an upper room, and God went public as fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, Isaiah's prophecies, this public outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues. In this case, the tongues were foreign languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Languages they hadn't learned before. A miraculous. So they're filled with the Spirit. The presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, is real to them. They are given this gift to speak praise to God in other languages that they've never learned. And they, the people who were listening from different nationalities, were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And then as you know, Peter stood up, preached, explained, Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit. Jesus, whom you killed, has poured out the Holy Spirit. What shall we do then? Repent, be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 repent of their sins, are baptized. The Holy Spirit's poured out upon 3,000. The Holy Spirit has just gone public. Day of Pentecost, okay? And that's continuing. The Holy Spirit's work is being poured out. This is the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus at the end of history that God says, I will pour out my Spirit broadly, lavishly, upon men and women, every nation, tongue, and tribe, So that's the gift of the Holy Spirit gone public. Now, number five. The reason Jesus came to earth and died on the cross was so we could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This might be a new thought for you. it's, It's amazing mercy that me, a sinful man, could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. That should just make you shake your head. How can that be? Only one way. Jesus died. He was punished for my sins. I'm clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's how I can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as a, even though I'm sinful. I mean, I'm being changed. I'm not as sinful as I was. I've been born again, new creation. 
But still, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a wonderful gift. It's an amazing gift that I have the Holy Spirit. But see, that's the purpose for which Jesus died and rose again, was so that you could receive this gift. Look at how John puts it in Mark chapter 1, verse 8. John the Baptist, summarizing Jesus' future ministry, he says, I, John is speaking about himself, have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I dunked you into water, okay? But Jesus is going to immerse you into the Holy Spirit. Whoa! That's John's summary, one of his summaries of what Jesus is going to do. Look at John 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, there's a gift of God. What is this gift of God? Do you know the gift of God? If you knew, Jesus says to this woman, the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, namely that I'm the Messiah, you would have asked him, me, Jesus, the, the Messiah, and he would have given you living water. The gift of God is living water. What's living water? Well, you skip ahead to John 7. The living water is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then keep reading. Everyone who drinks of this water, physical water, in this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, the gift of God, this living water, the Holy Spirit, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. This is a very emphatic phrase in the Greek. Will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is very big. This is really big. There's a gift of God that he wants to give you. He can give it to you because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's living water, which when you drink of it, your heart thirsts will be completely satisfied. And as you continue to drink of it throughout your life, your heart thirsts will continue to be satisfied. And look at Galatians 3. Another way of saying the same thing. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We've all sinned against God. God's law condemns us, curses us, rightly so. Christ redeemed us, though, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. All of our sin, all the curse we deserve was put upon Christ and he was punished in our place. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that... In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Jesus died on the cross so you could get the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? Next line. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because Jesus died on the cross, you can receive the blessing of Abraham, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promised spirit, the gift of God, the living water, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, having your heart thirsts quenched by the living presence of God the Father, by experiencing Jesus the Son, not just knowing about God and Jesus his Son, but having a first-hand encounter with the living God and his glorious Son, Jesus, as a gift in the person of the Holy Spirit. 
This is big. This is really, really big. This is the gift of God that's ours. Okay, what is the gift of the Spirit? I've already been alluding to it. Two things it's not. It's not speaking in tongues, okay? Gift of tongues is wonderful, all right? But listen, there are some circles, there are some Christian groups, and the whole Holy Spirit thing is about speaking in tongues, and that's a tragic mistake. Because the gift of speaking in tongues, as, as wonderful as it is, I think it continues. It's not given to every believer. 1 Corinthians 12.30, I think, makes that clear. And it's not like the spiritual high point of your life. It's just not. Those of you who have the gift of tongues, no, it's not. The spiritual high point of this whole thing is knowing God personally, knowing the person of Jesus in your heart as a direct encounter, first-hand experience given by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, tongues is wonderful, but there are groups that make that the whole thing, and it's a tragic diversion. It's a tragic distraction from the real thing. Those groups who make that the whole thing. It's also not shaking or falling or goosebumps. God's word never emphasizes that. And you know there are groups where that's the whole thing. And I think that's a tragic diversion. Because you can get people falling, you can get people whatever, shaking. But then people aren't pursuing the gift of God, the living water, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to know God personally, really, experientially, to behold Jesus' love, to feel Jesus' very love for you. You know what I'm talking about. The gift, this is very big. And so I don't want anybody to miss what we're talking about here. So it's not those. What it means, it's having the Holy Spirit come to dwell inside of me. If you're trusting Jesus right now, If you love Jesus Christ, the third person of the Trinity is dwelling inside of you right this moment. God the Father is on his throne. Jesus the Son is at his right hand, ruling. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's in me. He's in you. You've received the gift of God. So the gift of the Holy Spirit means having the Holy Spirit come to dwell inside me so I can experience God. First-hand experience of the living God. I can taste and see that the Lord is good. I can behold with the eyes of my heart His glory and His love, His compassion, His strength, His power. I mean, just yesterday I was driving to the office to make these copies. And uh, I was just thinking about, God, it's an amazing thing. We can behold your goodness and your justice and your holiness and your compassion and your love. And I just got filled up afresh just saying, God, you... I mean, all these words became realities to me. You know, It's hard to put words on this, right? We're describing an experience, but all those words move from words to, you are good. I'm feeling it. I'm seeing it. I'm sensing it. You are glorious. And I just filled up. Heart thirsts, quenched, satisfied. Are you guys getting this? Do you feel This is just an amazing thing. So here's some verses. John 6, 35. This has become one of the sweetest verses to me in these last two or three years. I'm not sure why, but let me just pass it on to you. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never, very strong language in the Greek, unusually strong, shall never thirst. Jesus is talking about heart hungers and heart thirsts. We've all got them. Okay? We've got emptinesses. We've got longings for joy, for 
excitement. We're wired to behold greatness and glory. We wish the sharks would have kept going, you know. We would have liked to see them show their stuff a little longer because we like, we're wired to see greatness and say, wow! Or like the Grand Canyon, whoa! Or like a sunset over Monterey, wow! We're wired to see greatness. That's our biggest heart hunger. And Jesus says, he's the bread of life. If you come to him, you will not hunger. Your heart hunger for beholding glory will be satisfied. Whoever believes in me, coming to me, believing in me, those are synonymous. Whoever believes in me, trusts in me, repents of their sins, puts their trust in me, shall never, ever thirst. What's he talking about there? Well, keep join that with John 4 and John 7. We've already read John 4. Jesus is talking about, if you knew the gift of God... And then verse 14, we'll never thirst again. So never thirst in John 6.35, gift of God in John 4.10, never be thirsty again in John 4.14. In John 7.37, same language, he makes it really clear what he's talking about. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, there's this thirsty language, let him come to me and drink, just like John 6.35. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. What's he talking about? Now this he said about the spirits whom those who believed in him were to receive after the cross and on the day of Pentecost and now whenever we turn and put our trust in Jesus. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, and meeting the living Jesus through the Holy Spirit, who brings the presence of Jesus into your heart, who makes Jesus' glory real to you, so you see him. You don't just think about him and agree that these are truths about him, as important as that is, but the Holy Spirit illumines your mind, uh, enlightens the eyes of your heart. These are, this is all language, and you know, again, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. This is all we're trying to describe an experience but it's very real and it's very powerful and it's very important to Jesus. Look at Romans 5, 5. Here's how Paul describes it. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now don't turn your page over yet. Don't just read over those words. This is stunning. Paul here is describing some, he's writing a letter to the Roman believers. He's assuming that they've all experienced this. Right? Read it again. Hope in heaven does not put us to shame because it's not just hoping in a future thing. God's love has now been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He's not expecting anybody who reads this to raise their hand and say, what are you talking about, Paul? He's expecting them all to, to nod and say, yes. That's true. Oh, Paul, that's true. I know what it is to have God's very love poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit who has given to me. Could we all say that? Or are we kind of wondering, what's he talking about? See, to have God's love poured into your heart is not the same thing as just knowing and agreeing that God loves you. That is really important. It's what the book says. That's our foundation. This doesn't change depending on our feelings. 
But Paul here is not talking about just you knowing that God loves you. Paul's talking about times in your life where you're going to be seeking the Lord, praying, saying, God, I need you, meet me, or whatever the setting is. And he pours his very love into your heart and you feel his love. (laughs) By first-hand experience. You know it directly. That's what Paul's talking about here. And he assumes that every believer in the Roman church would be nodding their head saying, you go, Paul, and right on. That's what it is. Yes, it's true. Pop of page three. Another way that Paul puts it. He's praying for the believers in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you little strange language here, but here's what he's saying. May give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, at that time, in that language, to talk about a spirit of wisdom is another way of saying the Holy Spirit in his capacity of giving you wisdom. A spirit of revelation means the Holy Spirit in his job of giving you revelation. Okay? And he explains it more. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. See the metaphorical language we're dealing with here? Your heart has eyes. Your heart has the capacity to... I mean, your physical eyes can't see God and can't see Jesus now. But the eyes of your heart have the capacity to do that because spiritually, the Holy Spirit can enable the eyes of your hearts to be unclouded from... From what? Greed, anger, bitterness, pride, lust, frustration, discouragement. Those are the things that blind the eyes of our hearts. Weariness can blind the eyes of our hearts, but the Holy Spirit can give you revelation, can enlighten the eyes of your heart so you see and sense that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. You have a taste of what heaven's going to be like. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe is how it keeps going? Another language here to describe it. You've got eyes in your heart which get clouded dulled by sin, by just pressure, by hard work, by hurts, by disappointments, the Holy Spirit can give you wisdom and can give you revelation so the eyes of your hearts are enlightened so you see with the eyes of your hearts. You've had times where you've read a verse and you knew it was true and you wanted to feel it more. You didn't doubt it, but you weren't feeling it. And then you've had other times where you read that exact same verse and it's like, I'm seeing it. This is amazing. Right? That's what we're talking about here. And what's amazing, the words haven't changed. The truth hasn't changed. But the Holy Spirit is giving you a taste of the truth that's in the verse. Mm. It's hard to know how to put it, but that's best I can do. And when all that happens, that's the gift of the Spirit. Your heart, hungers, and thirsts are satisfied. You are satisfied strengthened and encouraged and filled and envisioned and comforted and built up in your faith and rejoicing and the list just goes on. So that's the gift of the Spirit. Jesus came to bring you his presence and the presence of God the Father through the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. Why is it such good news to be forgiven for sin? Well, it is because we don't face hell. That is awesome. But that's not the the, the main end game here. 
the main reason it's such an amazing thing to be forgiven for sins is that because you're forgiven for your sins, you get God. You get the living Jesus. Paul says, for to me to live is, it is Christ. Knowing Christ. And to die, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna gain more. The gift of the Spirit making Jesus real in Paul. Paul says, I count everything else as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The, the, the point of salvation is not so that we, we end up in heaven and all our friends are there and I don't feel guilty anymore and I don't have a, a bad knee anymore and I, I've got 20-20 vision without contacts and, and I've, you know, we can go play games here, do this or that. The whole point of heaven is Jesus is there. Your love, your prize is there. And it's in this life that we get regular tastes of his love and his being the prize and his being the treasure as the Holy Spirit gives us his very presence. Okay, when do we receive the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to go through all these scriptures, but I think the scripture is clear. That God gives you the Holy Spirit at the time that you are saved. Look at this first verse, Acts 2.38. Day of Pentecost, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches, they're all convicted of their sin, and they say, what should we do to be saved? Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When? Then. Repent first, be baptized. Now, I think the gift of the Holy Spirit can be given before baptism. That's what happens in Acts 10. The order isn't precise here. The point is that the conversion experience in the New Testament includes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, where somebody sees their sinfulness before a holy God, trembles at the reality of God's wrath, even that is given by the Holy Spirit, by the way, repents of their sins, puts their trust in Jesus, death on the cross, receives forgiveness, trusts Jesus, And the Holy Spirit's poured out, and they know the living Jesus in his love and care for them personally. They know that by experience, not just because somebody's telling them. They know they're saved, not just because somebody said, well, you did this, you did this, so therefore you're saved. They know they're saved because God's here. He's loving me. I know I'm forgiven. God loves me. I'm feeling it. Acts 2.38. Um... Romans 5, 5, I already read that. Romans 8, 15, here's another way of putting it. For you have received the spirit of adoption. That is the Holy Spirit. Remember the language, spirit of wisdom, Holy Spirit giving you wisdom. Spirit of revelation, the Holy Spirit giving you revelation. Here's the same language, the spirit of adoption. This means the Holy Spirit making your adoption by the Father, you're now in his family, making your adoption real in your experience. I've used the illustration before. We adopted both of our kids. And, uh, and let's just let's say that one of them said, you know, how, how do I know I'm adopted? Well, I, I could have brought out the adoption papers, court papers, say, here, see, here's how you know. You're adopted. You're part of our family. And that would have shown them. But a much more powerful demonstration is, how do you know that you're adopted and part of my family? Watch this. Just pick up and give them a big old hug. That's how you know you're part of our family. I'm your dad. You're part of my family. The book tells us we're adopted. The legal papers are right here. That's glorious. Cherish that. Love that. Ponder that. Study it. But there's times where the Holy Spirit will bring your adoption to you in a heartfelt way so you know God the Father, through Jesus the Son, loves you. And you cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. 
You love me. No way. You do. Yes, yes way. You do. That's Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness to our adoption with our spirit that we're children of God. You will have regular times in your spiritual life when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and make your adoption real in a felt way. John 6, I've already used that verse. You can look at that again. Just notice in John 7:37, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The, the one condition for receiving the Spirit is believing, conversion, faith, trust. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 6 also describes conversion, but let's keep going. Oh, here's a great illustration from Howell Harris. Now, by the way, I've got a couple of, this is the second one, I've got two more after this one. Don't conclude from these illustrations that this is the norm. Okay? I've never had an experience like this here. Okay? My experiences are like, you know, on the Richter scale, much lower than these. All right? So, and that's why these were written, because they were powerful. But I, I want to use these illustrations to help you understand what we're talking about. So here's Howell Harris at his conversion. He was a man who in the 1700s preached the gospel throughout Wales. June 18, 1735, when I was praying alone, I suddenly felt my heart melting within me like wax before the fire with love to God my Savior. I felt not only love and peace, but longing to be dissolved and to be with Christ. I mean, have you ever just said, Jesus, I want you to come back. I want you now. Please come. Come quickly. Do you want Jesus more than sex? Money? New computer? Nice car? See, this is what the gift of the Holy Spirit brings to us. He changes our hearts, so we long for Jesus. Those things aren't wrong, necessarily, at all. Thank you, Lord, for gifts. But every gift is meant to be a, a pointer to the giver. It displays the real glory, the real pleasure in him. So, anyway, little rabbit trail there. Then there rose up, in, rose up a cry in my heart, which I'd never known before. Abba, Father, Daddy, talking to God the Father. I knew that I was his child and that he loved me and heard me. I knew it by first-hand experience. There was in me a well of water springing up to eternal life, using the language from John, John's gospel. The love of God was poured into my heart by the Holy Spirit. I was entirely freed from all fears. doesn't mean that this was his constant experience. This was his experience at this time. Christians do fear, and then we battle back. I found uninterrupted rest in the love and faithfulness of God my Savior. That's when he was saved. Now, again, this is a, like, a, like an 8.5 on the Richter scale. Okay, my experience in conversion was maybe a 2.3. All right, so don't judge by the degree, but I want to give you this illustration so you'll understand what it is. A 2.3 of this is awesome. Okay? I mean, just a little drop of this work of the Holy Spirit is infinitely more satisfying than anything else the world has to offer. Right? So... Degree is not the issue. What it is is what I want to drive home. But it doesn't stop a conversion. The normal Christian life starts with a heart experience of the Holy Spirit, a supernatural experience of the Spirit, and continues with not constant, but frequent supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. Not constant. That's what the Bible says, but frequent. Um, 
Look at Acts 2. This is interesting. To trace the, the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Acts 2, 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. But wasn't he already filled back in Acts 2, verse 4? Yes. What somebody said is, yeah, we do get filled, but then we leak. Okay, so you've got to get filled again. So Peter was filled in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Weren't they already filled? Well, yes, and they were filled again because you get filled, and then, then you get unfilled. And then you get filled again, and you, that's just how it is. So it's not constant, but it's frequent. Acts 13.52, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And then Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I mean, the same heart, thirst, and hungers that people look to get satisfied by drunkenness, much better way, is uh, because it's satisfying, is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, you can look at Romans 8. Look at 1 Peter. Let's read 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now what is astonishing to me is that Peter is assuming, he's he's describing those who read his letter. This is them. This is what you do. Peter were to write us, he'd say, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do we? Do we? Or if we come up with a version of Christianity that's taken all the supernatural out, maybe because some people distort it or it gets weird or we're afraid of it, and all we do is we just think the right things and do the right things. That's tragic. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus said to the woman at the well, don't take the gift of God out of the picture. It's the gift of God. It's why Jesus became a curse, so we could receive the, the, pro, uh, the blessing of Abraham, the promised spirit. Here's David Brainerd, another one of my heroes. Missionary to the American Indians, early 1700s. He records a prayer time he had on a Sunday afternoon. He said, I've been trying to pray for half an hour, but felt very dull. Now, what a lot of us would tend to do at that point is just say, it's not going to happen today. I'll pick it up again tomorrow. What's on TV, okay? Uh, that's not what he said. Now what he did, I've been trying to pray for half an hour, but felt very dull. But then as I continued to pray, suddenly God broke in upon me with a revelation of his glory. What happened? He was dull before. No, he would have agreed, yes, God is glorious. He would have gotten that right on a true-false test. Yes, God is glorious. But then God broke in and gave him a revelation of his glory. I did not see anything physically. But my soul saw God like I had never seen him before. I rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory, using the language of 1 Peter 1. To see such a God, such a glorious being, I was inwardly pleased that he should be God over all forever and ever. You are God. You're glorious. Be God. Be God. You're awesome. That's what he was feeling. Feeling it. My soul was captivated and delighted with the excellency loveliness, greatness, and other perfections of God, I continued in this state of inward joy, peace, and astonishment until near dark. Don't know how long it was, but it was a while. So you getting this? This is really, really big. The gift of God. 
The reason Jesus became a curse for you was so you could receive this gift of God, the living water. Jesus wants your heart thirsts, heart hungers, satisfied by his living presence, given by the Holy Spirit, indwelling you, revealing God the Father, revealing Jesus to you. What do we do to experience this more? None of us experience this anywhere near as much as we could. None of us do. There's more, there's more, there's more. Some of you, I'm sure, experience great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And the more you experience, the more you'd say, I want much more. So we're always more, Lord. Three things I I think might be helpful. First, pray for more of the work of the Spirit. Luke 11, 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I love that promise. If, I, I guarantee you, if you will ask for the work of the Holy Spirit, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Father will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask. Persistent asking. Ask earnestly. Second, think and trust. Think about and trust the truth of God's Word. A lot of people are very confused on this point. The, the way to experience the Holy Spirit isn't to pray and say, Holy Spirit, come, and then kind of empty your mind and try to just, you know, come. It's not the way to do it. Because the Holy Spirit works by revealing God the Father, Jesus the Son, to you. And he does that mostly through the truth of who God the Father is, who Jesus, God the Son, is. And so the work of the Spirit does not come as we empty our minds. It comes as we prayerfully set our minds to trust the truth of the Scriptures. That could come through a worship song that you're humming on the way to work. That can come through a verse you've memorized while you're you know, walking down the aisle at Costco. Or that can come while you're opening up the scripture. Listen, the, the goal of spending time in the word and in prayer every day is not just so you can check off your list, you did it, and you can feel good that you were a Christian that day. That's, that's, just, that's just stupid. It's idiotic. The reason you spend time with God on a regular basis is so you can meet the living God by the Holy Spirit in the word through prayer. It's to meet God. Not just so that you've done the religious thing. Okay? So don't do your devotions just so you've done your devotions. You know, whatever. Seek God. And frankly, some mornings are better than others. Right? That's okay. God's sovereign. He's wise. Sometimes he he gives you a full banquet. Sometimes he gives you just a little taste. Thank him for whatever you're getting and just keep seeking. But use the word. Here's two scriptures that drive that truth home, but I'll let you read those on your own. Quick illustration. Fire needs wood, oxygen, and heat, right? Three elements for fire. Same with this work of the Holy Spirit. The wood is the truth of who God is, who Jesus is, the gospel. You need the truth. Okay, you got to have wood, truth. Then you need the oxygen of your trust, your humble trust in that truth. And then you also need the Holy Spirit, heat. What if you have oxygen and heat but no wood? Faith and the Holy Spirit, but no truth. What will happen? Nothing. Okay, nothing. What happens if you have faith and the word, but no Holy Spirit? What will happen? Nothing. What happens if you have the word and the Holy Spirit, but no faith? Nothing. Okay, really important. Truth, faith, spirit. And then third point, be sure you're not grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And then Paul, I don't think it's a random next idea. I think these are connected. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, these are all language words mostly, be put away from you along with all malice. When I say words to you that don't impart grace to you, that are unwholesome, the Holy Spirit grieves. It's broken, grieves. When I harbor bitterness or when I slander people, the Holy Spirit grieves. I think in that sense, the work of the Holy Spirit is quenched. And we need to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It may be that the reason you haven't experienced much of this gift of the Holy Spirit is because of unrepented sin in your life. I love you, so I want to tell you that. You're thinking, well, what's this gift of God thing? I don't feel anything. Uh, It may be because there's unrepented sin. And... Ask him. He'll show you exactly what it is. You probably already know if if that's the case. So when we take these steps, pray, word, repent. Not that we have to become perfect, but we're repentant over our sin. God will meet us. He'll give us more of his Holy Spirit's work. And the results, number 10. I mean, this is so big, we could spend Sundays after Sundays talking about this, but when, by the Holy Spirit, our hearts experience the presence of Jesus, what happens? Our heart thirsts are completely satisfied. What an amazing thing. I mean, the whole world is looking for ways to get their heart thirst satisfied. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit, making Jesus real to us. We're convicted of sin. About two months ago, I was just hammered. about an area of sin in my life. More than I think ever before about any area of sin. It wasn't that the area of sin was the biggest I've ever committed by any means, but it was just seeing God's holiness and the work of the Holy Spirit just busted. Seeing that this deserves God's wrath, seeing how ugly and wicked it was, and then, and then, seeing the mercy of God punishing Jesus for it, loving me in spite of it, forgiving me, making me a new creature. It's a rich thing to be convicted of sin. We're filled with joy, peace, and hope. Temptations lose their power. I mean, listen, when your heart hungers and thirsts are satisfied, okay, you're not going to be tempted to, to eat the, 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 the yucky food that the world has to offer. I mean, if you, when you have feasted on filet mignon, you're not going to run after the uh, upside-down peanut butter sandwich in the gutter. Right? You're just not going to do it. I mean, just you've got the filet mignon right here. But when you're hungry, when you haven't sought the Lord felt his love, experienced Jesus satisfying your heart, hungers, and thirsts, then you're subject to temptation. Then you're a sitting duck for temptation. Anything that gives the slightest possibility of assuaging your heart, hungers, and thirsts, you'll go after. So the way to fight sin is to keep your heart full of Jesus. We have a foretaste of heaven. We love others. We love to tell others about Jesus. Man, we could talk about those a lot. Okay, but I want to keep going here. Okay, I get some comments on spiritual gifts here. If that's of interest to you, I talk about tongues in some more detail. You can look at that. Happy to have you email me on, on that some more. Make some, things, uh, some comments about healing. Happy to talk to you about that some more. But this morning, I want to focus on the gift of God. And what I want us to do in a moment is move into communion, to, to have a chance to come before the cross, 
repent of sin. We've all sinned this morning, okay? All right? Let alone yesterday and the day before. So in a fresh way, repent of our sin before Jesus. Receive his forgiveness and ask for a powerful work of the Holy Spirit right now this morning. Right now. Father, would you be pleased to bring a fresh outpouring of the gift of God upon us right now? Let's, I think we should ask him to do that. So here's some points. Here's passions and practices. Be filled with the Spirit. The Christian life, according to the New Testament, starts and continues with frequent heart experience of God the Father, Jesus the Son, given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Spirit. That is, pray passionately for more of the work of the Holy Spirit. Pray, God, give me your Spirit. Pray this every day, earnestly, hungrily, thirstily. Regularly spend time beholding and trusting God in his word. That's the point of a quiet time or devotions is, God, give me a taste. Satisfy my heart with who you are. Unite my heart to fear your name. Ask God to do that through his word. In the meantime, continue to do whatever else God's word calls us to do. You've got to go to work. Okay? Love your family. Play with your kids. Okay, get your exercise, you know, sleep. All right, so I mean, some, some groups kind of, until the Holy Spirit comes, you're not going to do anything else. I don't think that's helpful. Holy Spirit's here, he's working, but press in for more. Keep doing whatever else God's word calls you to do, because God also can pour his spirit upon us as we do his will. And then don't settle for just believing doctrine and obeying commands. God wants to regularly satisfy your heart with his living presence. He wants to give you Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus firsthand, the love of Jesus, seeing the power of Jesus, the sovereignty of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. He wants you not just to know about those, but to see and feel with the eyes of your heart, Jesus. Here's an example, one last example. I've used this before. I just love this. Blaise Pascal, Christian, lived in France in the 1600s, brilliant scientist, philosopher, mathematician, Pascal, computer language, named after him. After he died, this is so interesting, somebody was putting his stuff away, and they, they had, one of his shirts had a little pocket sewn in the inside. And, in, and sewn inside this pocket was a manuscript. And they pulled it out, and they opened it up, and here's what it said. He'd written on it something that had happened to him in 1654. Here it was on this little manuscript. This day of grace, 1654. From about half past ten at night to about half after midnight. Fire. Fire. God of Abraham. God of Isaac. God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and the wise. Security. Security. Feeling. Joy. Peace. God of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what's happening here? He's just encountering the living God. Do you see that? You'd write that down too, wouldn't you, and stuff it away. Forgetfulness of the world and all except God. He can be found only in the ways taught in the gospel. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. 
I have separated myself from him. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and him whom you've sent, that's John 17, 3. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now again, that's like 9.8 on the Richter scale. Okay? But I want you to see what we're talking about here. It's this mingling of truth with experience, where you... Through the truth of God, behold God himself, Jesus Christ, the gospel. First-hand experience, that's the gift of God. Your heart thirsts are completely satisfied. Let's have the band come on up and let me just pray for us as we prepare for communion. This is really big for us, Father. Way big way beyond what we can conceive. But we, we want to say yes to you. We want, we want this work, which Jesus, you died to give us. This is the gift of God that you offered to the woman at the well and that you offer to us freely through the cross. Forgive us for taking the supernatural element, the the experiential element out of our version of Christianity, if that's what we've done. Or forgive us for pursuing something else besides the, the biblical gift of the Spirit, some other kind of experience, some other kind of thing. It's not knowing you, God, knowing Jesus, God the Son. Forgive us, Lord, for sin we've allowed to remain in our lives, which has so grieved you, Spirit, that maybe you've lifted your gracious influences off of us and just let us feel dryness. And yet even that is your mercy to awaken us, to jolt us to what's going on. We need you. We desperately need you. To walk with you, to love each other, to love people around us, to Bring the gospel to San Jose. We need this gift of God. Jesus, would you be pleased? It would be a great mercy. But would you be pleased to pour out a fresh gifting of this gift of God now? Right now, today, upon us. You died to give this to us. You want us to know you, to know the Father firsthand. You died. So we would have this. Give it to us, Lord. We want to repent of our sin. Repent of anything that's grieved you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us for being prayerless. For settling for just going through religious duties and not really hungering for you. Meet us now. Meet us now, Lord. So Dave's going to lead us in some worship in regards to the the cross and... Um, during these first two songs, you can come up and get the bread and the cup, table on your left, table on your right, and then just go back to your seat and, and stay there, and then I'll lead us together in partaking of communion after the second song, and then we're going to move into some prayer and just asking for God's work to pour out more of His Spirit upon us. So Lord, come now. As we remember Jesus' death on the cross, move upon us. We want to repent of any known sin. Show us any that we're not aware of. We want to see your love and your mercy more clearly than ever before. Move upon us now, we pray. In Jesus' name.